0: Well, today we're continuing our series uh, in epic, great God, great stories, and uh, I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today. Have you ever noticed how Disney movies start out really, really sad? Have you noticed this? I love Disney movies. I, I think they've made some wonderful kids' movies. But I'll tell you, I cannot stand the beginnings. Uh, they're just really sad. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can still remember when they showed The Land Before Time. Uh, I must have been like six or seven. Land Before Time at a school assembly one year. And I was... Do you, do you, know, do you remember how The Land Before Time starts? So it's, 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 little, it's Littlefoot... His mother is in a battle with a T-Rex. She gets partially eaten, and then she dies right in front of her child. And then and Littlefoot is, like, left to live on his own. You know, he's got no relatives. He's just totally isolated. He's got some buddies that he hangs out with, but he's lost all of his family members. They're just really sad. When I first saw this at school, I was like, I, I do not like this movie already, and I don't know why they're showing it in a school assembly <laughs> All the Disney movies have something like this, Bambi's mother, uh, Mufasa's death, uh, Ariel's father, Nemo's mom, Maleficent losing her wings, all of them. I mean, maybe not all of them, but this is how Disney movies traditionally start. We watch movies from time to time with our kids, and I tell you, if it's a Disney movie, I I have to brace myself. I, I brace them. I'm like, hey guys, listen, it's going to be sad at the start, it's all just pretend, <laughs> just a movie, I'm, I'm, I'm half telling this to myself, and uh, you know, now that I'm older, Disney movies, I know that they're going to start this way, I know that's going to be sad, but I know that there's going to be a happy ending, right, and so it kind of makes that initial sadness a little bit more bearable, in fact, I only watch movies with happy endings nowadays, you know, life has enough sadness, right, you know, I want, I want to feel happy at the end of a movie. And so we watch happy, happy ending movies. When tragedy strikes in real life, though, it's not like a Disney movie, is it? Because we don't know how the story's going to end. We've seen that, make, that life can make for a lot of bad endings as well. And when it's your life... And not some fictional character on a screen. The experience is totally different. It can feel like this tragedy that has happened in your life just engulfs everything in your life. It can feel like it's all there is. Some of you may be in the midst of a a bitter disappointment right now. Maybe it was the loss of a job or a financial tragedy. Maybe it was a relational tragedy. Maybe it was something that happened in your marriage recently. And in that moment of suffering, all that we are comes to the surface. The good and the bad, and we're forced to make decisions of the soul that will have major implications for what happens next in our lives. Will we hold on to anger and bitterness? Will we turn inward and protect ourselves from future injury? Can we let ourselves feel gratitude and love? Will we stay hopeful? Suffering has tremendous potential to form character or to make us bitter. How do you live when disappointment has rocked your world and you, you wish it weren't so, but you know, just you feel it, that bitterness is starting to creep in? How do you respond to that? Well, today we're going to look at a real-life story. It's the story contained in the book of Ruth. It's a good one and an important one. And like any good story, it starts off with a tragedy, the sort of thing we just would rather not talk about. But this is the stuff of real life. And in the story of Ruth, there are some really great lessons for how to walk through devastating circumstances with grace. Grace. There's some lessons on how to, how to deal with a string of bitter disappointments. It's an epic story. And as we look at Ruth's life today, we're going to learn some principles that will help us walk through the bitter disappointments, the devastating circumstances of our own lives. All right, let's do this. Ruth chapter one, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land so a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two two sons and her husband. I want to pause for a moment. In a span of a decade, Naomi lost her husband and her two sons. And the passage doesn't talk about it, doesn't flesh it out, because you're supposed to be able to just know. There were days, there were months of crying and bitterness and anger and frustration and, and, you know, confusion and and maybe regret about the decision to move to Moab. It's not in the passage, but you know it was there. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah." Now, you need some important background info to get inside this story. In, in ancient Israel, people lived in these households. And so, you know, the extended family would kind of stick together. Um, they, they would not necessarily live in the exact same house, but they would, you know, share meals together, share life. And there was just kind of the sense that the grandmother and the grandfather, the, the patriarch, matriarch of the family, were kind of the authority figures over the, the family, and so when a woman got married, she would leave her father's household and she would go and live with her husband's, her new husband's uh, family. So, uh, and she would be under their banner of authority at that point. So Ruth and Orpah had been living under the banner of Naomi's household for several years. And so it's natural that when Naomi realizes that she wants, you know, there's, she says, all right, girls, there's food back in, uh, back in Israel. Uh, let's pack your bags. We're going back to my hometown. It is natural that uh, Ruth and Orpah would then just follow along. Na- Naomi was the banner of authority over their lives. Well, Naomi is on the road heading back, and she's probably feeling bad that she's requiring Ruth and Orpah to uh, leave their family, their, their country, you know, all, all their customs, their language. And so she says, girls, stop. Let's, let's stop here. Go back to Moab. You guys have shown me wonderful kindness over the years. I, I love you guys, but... You need to stay here. Go start a new family. Go back to Moab. Start a new family. May God bless you. May his peace be on your lives. You don't have to come with me. The girls are torn to leave everything you knew, your hometown, your religion, your family. And they didn't want to leave poor Naomi to kind of wander off on her own. And so they say, No, Naomi, we'll go back with you. But Naomi says... Girls, you got to go back. It's going to be impossible for you to find a husband in Israel. It is against our law for an, for an Israelite man to marry a Moabite woman. And you're going to be living under, the, under my household for the rest of your life. And honestly, you know, there is nothing good with me. God has turned his hand against me. My life is destined for bitterness. You don't want to be with me. Seriously, girls, go, go back. The girls cried a lot. But eventually, Orpah gathered her things and made the decision to go back. And Naomi says, go back, Ruth. Orpah's going back. Go back with her. But Ruth responds, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord Yahweh, that's what it is there. That's the God of the Israelites. May Yahweh deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. The story is already epic because Ruth is leaving behind her family, her religion, her language, her country, all of her friends, to follow a woman who from all appearances looks to be destined for a life of bitterness. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. And and, and something you need to understand is in their day, to lose all the males in your family was to lose your sense of security. It was to lose your income. It was to lose your social status. Why would Ruth want to follow such a woman rather than going back to a familiar place and starting a new life? Well, a few things could come into play. First off, Ruth could have been feeling compassionate for Naomi. You know, if, Ru- if Ruth left her, Naomi is really going to be all alone in the world. Many people look at this story and they would say, well, well, Ruth was being loyal to Naomi. And I think there's something to be said for that. But I want us to gain an appreciation for the fact that when she was being loyal to Naomi, that meant she was also being disloyal. She was also being disloyal to her country, to her God, to her family and her friends you know there's, there's she, if she was being loyal, she was also being disloyal that's another, that's part of the picture. Some would say that she liked the God of Israel. Some would even call this a conversion story, and that Ruth here is choosing the God of Israel um, for for her for her God personally. I don't think that Ruth's decision to go back to Israel was all about changing religions, but I do think that it played a major role. You see, in the ancient world, your religions, your, go- your gods, were a part of your actual national identity. People believed that the gods had regions where they lived. And so if you went and moved to a new region, the idea was, if you wanted to have a successful life, you needed to worship the god of that region, Well, they had been living in the country of Moab, and Moab worshipped the god Chemosh. The worship of Chemosh would have likely involved temple prostitution. Um, I don't know if you know what this is, but you know, you come to the temple, you pay uh, money to the temple, you have sex with one of the prostitutes, and that is how you worshipped that god. Very common practice in the ancient world. In one instance in the Bible, we see that the worship of the God Chemosh also involved human sacrifice. There was a, there's an example of a king who, who sacrifices his son as a way to ward off an Israelite invasion. The worship of Chemosh was evil. But it would have been everywhere in Moab because Chemosh was the God of Moab. But Ruth had been living with Naomi in this Israelite family and they worshipped Yahweh. They worshipped the God of Israel, and I have to imagine that Ruth would have been attracted to the integrity she saw in the worship of this other God. I got to believe that she would have, you know, seen this this emphasis on purity and right living, and she would have been attracted to that integrity. And the integrity she saw in the family and the way they lived in their household. And it appears from the passage that she has already embraced this Israelite God because she says, May Yahweh deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And so this brings us to our first point. To walk through bitterness well, you need to be attracted to integrity. To walk through bitterness well, you need to be attracted to integrity. Ruth must have been attracted to the integrity and goodness that she saw in Naomi's life to leave behind so much for a life with Naomi. This principle is very important because it determines the type of influence you are going to have in your life. When you are attracted to success or beauty or wealth or popularity in people, their their values are going to rub off on your life for good or for bad. But when you are attracted to integrity, you will end up surrounding yourself, you'll end up filling your life with people who are a wonderful influence on your life. Their example, their encouragements, you're going to thrive under those, they will bring you a a positive, life-giving life. When you value integrity, you will be surrounded by integrity. And when you are surrounded by integrity, you will be influenced by integrity. Naomi, as we'll see, brought a lot of wonderful wisdom into Ruth's life. But it was all because Ruth is attracted to the right sort of things. Be attracted to integrity. Naomi and Ruth make the dangerous week-long journey to Israel to a small town called Bethlehem. And Naomi walks into town, and some of her friends, you know, immediately recognize her. Naomi, is that you? Is that you? What a surprise. Where's Elimelech? Where, where's those two little guys you left with? They got to be grown men by now. Naomi, it's so good to see you. People would have been, come out of their, their houses to greet her as she arrived. And, and they came up and, and the word was spreading. And Naomi says, stop. Don't call me Naomi. Her name means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Bitter. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And then she would have told them about the loss of her husband and her two sons. Hey, Naomi, who's, who's this... Uh, Who's this girl with you? This is Ruth. She is Killian's wife. She's come back with me. She's from Moab. Everybody would have taken a step back. She's a Moabite. She's, she's from Moab. They would have ignored her. They would have given her looks. She can't come into the synagogue, Naomi. You know that. That's our rules. Nobody, nobody who's from Moab can come into the synagogue. Yes, yes. Listen, listen. She worships Yahweh now. Don't give her such a hard time. You see, Israel had bad, bad blood with Moab. There's a lot of history that I won't go into, but Moab women were known for seducing Israelite men and getting them to worship their god Chemosh. The countries hated each other. It was against the law for an Israelite man to marry a woman from Moab. These women had a history of bringing their religion with them and, uh, and you know, now we're mixing religions and, and having multiple gods and it was a major problem for Israel. So Ruth found herself in a foreign town experiencing scorn and rejection that she probably had no idea she would experience. Not only had she lost her husband and her security and her income, she was now at the bottom of the social ladder, as low as you could get. Not only was she poor, she was a Moabite. Well, Naomi must have found a place to stay, and she made contact with the people who had rented her husband's land. In the arrangement God had with the, with the Israelites, the land actually belonged to God, and you could not sell your property. You could only rent it. And the Israelites were able to get around this. They just did really, really, really long uh, rentals. Um, but, but you weren't supposed to sell your land. You're just supposed to rent it. And apparently, Elimelech must have done a short-term rental, because as soon as Naomi comes back into town, she starts connecting with the people who worked there. Her land, And because the land had only been rented, she, it was still in their family name, she was able to regain ownership of it. But, and, and so that I means she had something to work with, but it would have been a slow process to start to make money from the land. And from the sounds of it, what she began looking for was someone who would uh, take ownership of the land, but also take in Naomi and Ruth and provide for them, you know, by the land with the condition that they were taking care of Ruth and Naomi for the rest of their lives. Such a person would have been called a kinsman redeemer, were a guardian redeemer. And the tradition was that the next of kin, the closest relative, would bring the troubled relative in under their family household and uh, provide for them. Well, there was a man in the town named Boaz, and he wasn't the next of kin, but he was the second closest relative. Ruth could have sat around the house brooding over her misfortune. She could have, you know, been regretting the decision to move to another country where people did not accept her. And she, she could have stayed in the house, isolated from the public. But instead, she goes to, to Naomi and she says, Naomi, I, everybody's harvesting grain right now. I think I'm going to go out in the fields and harvest grain. It was God's law that the poor were allowed to come behind the professional harvesters and pick up the leftovers that the professional harvesters had missed. And it was God's law, and so this is what Ruth did. She went out looking for a field where there were bits of extra barley. They missed a little bit over here. And she would go, and she would harvest them. She'd put them in her bag. And the idea was, whatever you harvested in that way, if you were poor, you could take it home, and that was your food. But it was backbreaking work. This brings us to our second principle. When you are walking through a bitter situation, work hard at a stable job. Work hard at a stable job. Ruth could have picked a more risky form of employment. Surely there was, easy, surely there was easier work to do than bending over in the fields, picking grain um, all day long. But here's the thing. Harvesting grain was a big job. Most people were employed this way. And it was a very stable form of employment because at the end of the day, the barley you picked was the barley you took home to to eat. It was hard work, but it was very stable. And if you're in a bitter situation right now, ask yourself, do I need more risk in my life? Does it make sense to pursue a risky venture, venture, risk more trouble and disappointment in my life with where I am right now? Or does it make sense to work a stable job uh, even though it's harder work? Don't take your unstable situation and make it more risky by pursuing an unstable form of employment. Working hard at a stable job brings security to your vulnerability. It just so happens that she finds herself in a field belonging to Boaz, one of her close relatives. She works all day, from early morning to evening. Well, Boaz notices her, and he comes over to her, and he, and he says, "Listen, girl. notice you've been working in my fields, and uh, we got a, we got a couple more months of harvesting to go. I want you to I want you to come back here every day. All right? You know, it can be really dangerous for a woman like yourself to be out in the fields alone um, harvesting grain. Come back here. I've told my guys to take care of you, to watch out for you." You know, we've got some other ladies out in the field here. You can work with them. You'll blend right in. But don't don't go anywhere else. I want you to stay here. You you pick rain here. And then he goes over to his guys and he says, "Hey guys, leave a little bit behind, would you? You can. It's all right. You can be a little sloppy today." <laughs> Ruth gets home that night. <laughs> and she's got a 40-pound bag of pure barley, and Naomi's eyes get wide, and she's like, where did you harvest today? Somebody must have noticed you and started dropping stuff on purpose, and and Ruth was like, yeah, it was incredible, Naomi. I, I... this guy said I could come, and, and he could, I could harvest in his fields. He said, he said I could come back until the end of the harvest, and they're going to let me drink from their water jug. jug. They, they even, he even gave me lunch, and uh, it's like I'm hired, but I get to keep all the barley I pick. <laughs> Who is this guy? What's his name? Let's see. What was his name? His name was Boaz. Very nice guy. Handsome, too. And... Uh, he even fed me lunch. You know, isn't that awesome? And I would hear, hear some leftovers. This is more than Naomi can handle. She's ecstatic. God bless him. God has not stopped showing kindness to us. Ruth, Boaz, is one of our close relatives. He's one of our guardian redeemers. He could take us in. It was a good day in their humble house. Ruth works in Boaz's fields. For several months, working hard at a backbreaking job, but it's providing an income for the both of them. What well, we need to realize here is that there there were some other ways that Ruth could have provided, you know, physical and um, emotional and financial security for herself. Being a woman at the bottom of the social ladder, I imagine that a lot of the people in the town would just have expected that she would have come into town and taken up prostitution. That was typical. That was a real career. They would have, you know, there, there would have been, uh, you know, she was vulnerable. She was a vulnerable woman. There would have been men who would have suited her and said, you know, men of less than noble character and said, I'll give you food. I'll give you a place to stay um, if you'll marry me. There would, have, there would have been some wealthy men of, of you know, of means who would, would have taken her on as an extra wife or as a mistress. But Ruth stays pure. She doesn't pursue a quick fix for her husband problem. She works hard. And in several months' time, Ruth has gained herself a reputation in Bethlehem. She may be a woman from Moab, but she is a woman of character. And this is our third principle. Stay pure and avoid quick fixes. Stay pure and avoid quick fixes. If you have found yourself in a bitter situation especially a situation where you have lost something. There is a temptation to try to replace what you have lost with a quick fix. Don't do it. If you've lost your job, don't blindly take the first commission-based opportunity that comes your way. You know, there's also a temptation here in the the midst of, of devastation to use dishonest means to get what you want so badly. Don't let your disappointment tempt you toward dishonesty. Quick fixes and dishonest shortcuts are a quick way to get yourself into trouble. Well, eventually, the uh, wheat and barley harvests are all done. And one day, Naomi comes to Ruth and says this, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. Don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. And then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. <laughs> That's provocative, isn't it? You go visit this guy in the middle of the night, <laughs> lay down next to him, he'll tell you what to do. <laughs> Yikes! And I was telling you, Ruth was, was pure. <laughs> um, well, there's a lot of reasons not to do this. Boaz might get angry, Boaz might not let her work in the fields anymore, he might shame her publicly. But Naomi has a lot more wisdom and experience than Ruth does. And this is what Naomi is telling her to do. And this brings us to our next principle. When you are walking through bitterness, boldly follow wise counsel. Boldly follow wise counsel, especially when there's an opportunity. You know, when you've been hurt before, it can be, it can be very... It's, it's natural to feel a little bit wary of opportunities. After all, an opportunity is an, is an opportunity for more disappointment, right? You know, and, and you, you know, disappointment after disappointment, it can just make the original disappointment all the more bitter. You know, and fears begin to, to kind of rise up in our minds. But when wise counsel is encouraging you to take an opportunity that is the time to take it. Sometimes an opportunity is a gift from God. Sometimes it's a reward for your hard work and your efforts to stay pure. It will be scary, but if wise counsel is behind it, that is the time. Take, boldly take that opportunity. Wise counsel is the best way to take a risk. Ruth washed. She put on her best clothing. She put on some perfume. She headed up to the threshing floor and did just as Naomi told her. She lay down next to Boaz once he was asleep, and she uncovered his feet. The passage says, during the night, something startled him. I I get a kick out of that sentence. She was probably tickling his toes. (laughs) Come on, wake up. It's been been two hours. (laughs) Come on. He sits up and sees Ruth and says, who are you? You know, it's dark. Who are you? She'd had hours to think about what to say. I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. This... Is a marriage proposal. If anyone tells you the girl can't propose to the guy, tell them they're wrong. <laughs> it's in the Bible. <laughs> you know, it's it's unusual circumstances, but that's what's happening here. Well, Boaz is pleased. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness that you th- this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am guardian redeemer of our family, there's another who's more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty uh, as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So he says, yes. And I want to point out here that the Bible makes very clear that they did not have sex. It wants to make clear that Boaz and Ruth were both people of purity. In the morning, Ruth returns home and Boaz heads to the town square. He gathers a meeting of the elders and he, he explains the scenario and he makes an arrangement whereby whoever buys Naomi's land and provides for Naomi must also marry Ruth and provide uh, for Ruth as well. It's a clever arrangement so that Naomi and Ruth can stay together in the same household. And the fellow who is the closest of kin, he doesn't want to do it, Probably because he doesn't want to marry a woman from Moab. And so Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife. He buys Naomi's land, he takes them in, he provides for them for the rest of their lives. The the whole town, when they realize what's happened, they are just in uproar, in celebration for Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth. It is a happy ending. This is an epic story. It was a broken situation. The two sons should never have married women from Moab. Ruth and Naomi were, were, were isolated. They were without family. They were living in poverty. They'd lost their reputation. They were still grieving the loss of their husbands. Their situation was bitter. And in the midst of this situation, Ruth's character was exemplary. But it is God's intervention in this story That makes it epic. Naomi said it right when she said, God has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. And so if you are in a broken situation, and honestly, guys, broken situations are all over the place in life. That is life. You may feel that the situation you've been handed is bitter. You may feel that God's hand is turned against you. You may feel that the world is turned against you. But the moral of this story is that God never... Stop showing kindness and love to those who turn to him for their rescue. You see, God was taking care of them all along, all along. It was God who put down the law that said that the poor are allowed to come behind the harvesters and pick up the rest as a way to provide for themselves. He, God, created the law that that, that made that happen he guided Ruth to Boaz's field. He caused Boaz to have compassion on Ruth and to take a liking to her. He gave Naomi the idea of a, of a female proposal. And he gave Boaz the idea of this, you know, complicated arrangement so that Naomi and Ruth could stay together in the same household. God arranged a perfect ending to their story. You know, I want to point out that Boaz sounds like a great guy. Doesn't he sound like a great guy? That's because he's a Christ figure in this story. His life is a foreshadowing of how Christ is going to relate to us. He's compassionate, he's personal, he's patient, he's pure. And when Christ, when we come to Christ and say, we need a rescue, We need you to redeem our lives. He he arranged a clever arrangement in his death on the cross that would provide for our redemption. He restored what had been lost. Remember that this story is only epic because God's desire, his decision to continue to show love to those who come to him for the rescue. God is gonna continue to be good in your life but you will miss it if you have not turned to him for your rescue and surrounded yourself with people of integrity. God has rewards in store for you, but you won't be deserving of them if you've chosen instead to pursue quick fixes and immoral shortcuts to get what you want. And you won't be ready to receive a wonderful gift from God if you're not able to take bold risks Bold opportunities when they have been vetted by wise counsel. If you are bitterly disappointed today, don't get stuck believing that this tragedy is going to define your life. It does not have to define your life. God is a good God. His love is overflowing. He pours out grace and mercy on people who make mistakes. He can redeem your situation. He will Redeem your situation. You need to go to him and say, spread the corner of your garment over my life. You know that when you, when you spread that, when, he, when she came to him and said, said those words, it was a marriage proposal, but it was also an invitation to authority. You're coming under the banner of authority of this other person. And that is what you need to do with God. You need to say, God, I'm willing to come under the banner of your authority in my life. If you've not done this yet, that is is like a turning point in your life. Come under, take on God's authority over your life. Take on his leadership in your life. This is something you need to do in order to walk with him, in order to be redeemed. If you will do that, if you will take on his banner of authority over your life, that will be the beginning of your happy ending. Would you stand?